1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read one verse in your hearing, and that is verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Paul is writing this letter to a community of believers which he refers to in chapter 1 with these words. The church of God which is at Corinth to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was a man convinced that the church there in Corinth was made up of believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a church who had experienced the grace of God, who had been set apart, called saints, with a holy calling. However, they were not a perfect church. And throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul addresses several concerns, several issues, several vices that had been seen in this assembly. And what was at the root of these things? Why was there envy? Why was there jealousy? Why was there unkindness? Why was there selfishness? Well, at the root was not their upbringing. It was not their culture or their environment. But the issue was there was a lack of genuine love among the saints. And so Paul comes to address that very issue. In fact, when you come to 1 Corinthians 13, you, you will find this chapter sandwiched in between chapters about spiritual gifts. We read that these gifts were being misused. They were proud of their spiritual gifts and selfish in their use of them. So now, in the midst of talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and in chapter 14, for a moment, the Apostle Paul pauses and says, wait a minute, we've got to deal with something here. And that is, we've got to deal with genuine, sincere, agape love that ought to be expressed in this community. And so he begins by speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, the Apostle Paul begins this chapter by reminding them of the priority of such love within this community. And he says to them, if you have the highest of gifts, and if you have the greatest of faith, 
And if you perform the most wonderful deeds and it's all void of love, it is absolutely worthless and useless. That's how important this love is. And then starting in verse 4, he begins to give us not a definition of love, but a, but a description of love in action. Every one of these elements are verbs. They are not nouns. That speaks of the fact that, that love is, is a matter of action. 1 Corinthians 13, and we read it at weddings, and we read it at anniversaries, and, and there's that sense of Oh, I mean, I love doing weddings. I, I love having a couple standing in front of me looking at each other with this, this wonderful love that they have for one another. And in that, I charge them to love one another. And they say, I will. And, and, I, and, and now I want to pause and say, really, do you know what that means? Do you understand what you're saying? Because in the midst of going through this chapter together, it has, at least for me, been somewhat humbling. Love is not a picture of a dog licking somebody's cheek and everybody going, oh, isn't that sweet. L love is not a grandchild reaching up to grandpa. Oh, grandpa. Love is so much more. And throughout this study, I've had to, and some of you have confessed, there's the need of repentance. Because we haven't loved as we ought to love. Love endures much from others without retaliation. Love gives much to others without expectation. Love looks upon others' success without resentment or bitter feelings. Love places others first without mercenary motives or selfish ambition. Love treats others with respect and dignity without rude behavior. Love considers others' well-being without considering their own rights and interests. Love deals with others without irritation, frustration, or anger. Love responds to wrongs experienced from others without resentment or an unforgiving spirit. And now we're told love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Here the Apostle Paul sets before his readers what love does and does not do. He, he deals with both here in verse 6. What love does not do is to rejoice in unrighteousness. And what it does is to rejoice in the truth. Therefore we say this, love rejoices in the righteous behavior of others without taking any pleasure in unrighteousness. Love rejoices in the righteous behavior of others without taking any pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, as we open up this statement, we, we will do so under, under three heads. 
First of all, love's appropriate reaction. Second, we will notice together love's appropriate rationale. And then thirdly, we will notice love's appropriate recognition. So these three things, the reaction, the rationale, and the recognition of love. How does love respond to unrighteousness and righteousness? Paul does not shy away from the reality that there is emotions involved in this love. When an individual is converted, he does not become emotionless. He does not express emotion. He does. We, we are told that we're, we're to weep with those that weep. We, we are told that we're to rejoice with those that rejoice. But what is the appropriate reaction that should be expressed by believers as we deal with other individuals? How do we respond to them? What is the right way? What is the godly way? What is the holy way in which we respond to other, others' behavior? Now Paul says here, we're to re- not to rejoice, but we're to rejoice. And the interesting thing is, and what we don't see in our translation is that he uses two different words. The, the first rejoice is a term that means to delight together or to take pleasure in or to be glad about. You're, you're not to take pleasure from the sins of others. The, the second term is the same word with, with a prefix added to it. And the second term means to rejoice in or with, rejoices together with the truth. Perhaps the NIV has the best translation. It says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Love does not take delight in unrighteousness, but, but it rejoices with and together with the truth is the idea that Paul expresses here. Love does not take delight, does not take pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. The King James and the New King James trans- that, translates that word iniquity. It, it has a very broad meaning. The New American Standard, as we read, has the word unrighteousness. The English Standard, as well as the New International Version, translates it as as wrongdoers or evil. Let me tell you what Jonathan Edwards says about this word unrighteous. He says, it seems to be 
intended here everything that is sinful in life and practice. Everything that is sinful in life and in practice. It is sin when our actions stand opposed or contradict the very law of God. Love does not take any pleasure in immoral behavior. Anything does not bring glory to God and recognize His authority, but contradicts that reality, we should never take delight in. You see, the church at Corinth wasn't wasn't concerned about the glory of God. What they were concerned about was protecting their favorite sin. That was their concern. Our hearts should always break. And we should be grieved at unrighteous behavior of others. Psalm 50, the psalmist here describes something of the behavior of of someone who may delight in the behavior of unrighteousness. He says in verse 18, When you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose with evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brothers. You slander your mother's son. Your, your, your behavior is such as that you seem to be enjoying and coming alongside of and taking pleasure in that which is evil. And if you read Psalm 50, he goes on to say, And God is silent, and you think He's just like you, and He's going to forget, but God doesn't forget. In Proverbs 2, the writer of Proverbs writes concerning the man who is determined to follow the ways of God. And the man who is determined to walk in wisdom, and wisdom is the ways of God, that man is a man who's delivered from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoices in the prosperity or the perversity of evil, those paths are crooked and who are desirous or and who are devious in their way he says if you if you're determined to walk as god's commanded you to walk you're a man who's been delivered from walking in a way that's perverse it's evil and you ought to bless god for that This man seems to be who, the opposite of the man who walks in wisdom, but a man who walks 
in evil is a man who finds pleasure in the evil that is done, not only by himself, but by others. He delights in the perverseness of others. He delights in evil. I mean, he may, he may be a man that's, that's not engaged in the act of perversion himself, but he gets pleasure out of the evils of others. How, how do you do that? How do we get pleasure out of the evils of others? Well, one way is we might gloat. We might hear about someone who's fallen into immoral behavior. And our response might be, I knew it. I knew it. I, I, I could see this was going to happen. Look at him. I, I could just tell. Or, or, or we might delight in the pleasure of the wicked by envy. By envy. You see how the evil man lives without what looks like any consequences. And you think, boy, there's a kind of life that wouldn't be all that bad. I, I can remember growing up, my parents were divorced before I remember them ever being together. And I would go to my dad's once a month. Now, you see, at mom's, there was discipline. Mom had three boys she was raising, and, and she carried the stick. And we had to toe the line, and we were in church every Sunday. But one Sunday a month, on the weekend, I would go to my dad's. And my dad was, back in his younger years, a fairly handsome guy. And I'd watch him flirt with all the women. And I would watch him live this carefree life. And I can remember as a young boy saying, Oh, I wish when I grow up I can be like my dad. my shame because at the end of the day he lived a very sad and destructive life but before the grace of God got a hold of my heart I would envy him but sin only leads to ruin it will only lead to death So we're to rejoice not in unrighteousness, but we're to rejoice in the truth. What, what we're, now, the word truth, and, and Jonathan Edwards opens this up in greater degree, truth has many meanings in the Word of God. It can be doctrinal truth, which we do rejoice in doctrinal truth. It, it has the idea of faithfulness. Often God is referred to as the one who's true and faithful. But it, but it also has the way, a meaning with regard to our behavior. That we walk according to truth. And I believe that that's the context in which we hear from the Apostle Paul. We, we rejoice when the Word of God is observed by others, when, when we see others taking an interest in, in the Word of God, when we see them embracing that Word, 
We delight when we see them believing the Word of God and then to see them practicing that Word. We delight when we see a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who just hungers to know God's Word so that they can live by that Word. That ought to delight our hearts. Which do you get more excited about? A win by the Michigan Wolverines? Or, or to see someone who just seems to have an appetite to know God's Word and be obedient to that Word. May, may God give us a greater heart to long that others would know our Lord and live for Him and, and walk with Him. It rejoices in the truth wherever it's found. Again, Jonathan Edwards defines what rejoicing in the truth means as well. He says, that is everything that is good in life or all that is, all that is included in Christian and holy practice. All I like his overbroad meaning. It is everything in, involved in, in, in Christian and holy practice. There is a joy. In 3 John, verses 2 and through 4, we read these words. John says, Brethren, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your faith, that is, how you were walking in the truth. For I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children walk in the truth. John rejoices to hear that they looked to the truth. They acknowledged the truth. They were living out the truth. And it's seen by others. He rejoiced. And children, children, if, if you have Christian parents and you want to bring joy to their hearts, it, it, the greatest joy won't be that you're some great athlete and have your name in the paper. The greatest joy won't be if, if you go to college and get a degree their greatest joy won't even be if you move out of their basement. As Christian parents, there's no greater joy than to see our children walking in the truth. Being obedient to God. So there we have something of love's appropriate reaction. But notice, secondly with me, love's appropriate rationale. Why is it appropriate for us to respond this way? Why is that? Why is it appropriate for us to love and rejoice with the truth, but not rejoice in iniquity or evil? Well, here's the simple answer. It is this 
that the purpose of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was this, to redeem a people for Himself who by His grace were to be a holy people, a new creation set apart for good works. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes a man from what he was. Old things pass away and all things become new. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere in faith. faith. The goal or the end of his instruction was love out of a pure heart. A heart that does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In Christ, we're a new creation. Therefore, we think differently, we love differently, we desire differently. We change in the area of our thinking with regard to sin. We recognize that sin grieves our Heavenly Father. It was sin that caused the Son to come to earth in order to die. And for us to rejoice in sin, what a shame! Christ came to deliver us from this present evil world. So there's a change with regard to to how I perceive sin. And, and, and there's a change. Now I love the truth. I, I say with the psalmist, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's a change with regard to our love, our hearts, what we once loved, we no longer loved. What we once hated, we no longer hate. There's a change that takes place. Again, the psalmist says, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Oh, how I, what? Love thy law. There's a change that takes place with regard to our desires. Before the grace of God got a hold of us, we lived for self. It was all about me. But now, my desire is to live for Christ, to glorify Him. Again, the psalmist says, Make me walk in Your commandments, for I delight in it. Why? Why? Do we not rejoice in unrighteousness? Because it goes against the God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Why do we rejoice in the truth? Because it's the way of godliness. It's the way of holiness. It's the way in which God is well pleased. You know what one of the greatest challenges of this life is? One of the greatest challenges that we face in this world is this. Who are you going to love? Who are you going to love? Am I going to love God? 
and His Word and His standard? Or is my love going to be bent toward the world and its standard? Who are you going to love? The Gospel changes our hearts and what we love. Listen, not perfectly. I wished it was. But when He changed our hearts, He also, I believe, gave us a sensitivity that that when we do sin, there's within us a desire to quickly forsake, confess and forsake that sin to the glory of our God. So we've seen love's appropriate reaction and then love's appropriate rationale. But then finally, notice with me, love's appropriate recognition. There are several places in which this type of love should be recognized. Can you think of some? Well, I don't believe the Apostle Paul has this necessarily in mind, but it's true nonetheless. First of all, it's personal. It's personal. Can I say that personally within my own life, I love the things of God? Can, can, I, can I say that, that's my desire is to, is to serve and follow my Lord, to walk as He has commanded me to walk? Or are we guilty of trying to hide our sins, justify our sins, or excuse our sins? So that's just a little sidebar. It it begins with ourselves. But there are other places where such a love ought to be recognized. In our culture. In our culture. we, We live in a time where Love is defined in a in a just a strange way. In, in our culture, in our society, you would be marked as unloving if you were unwilling to give a woman a choice. Come on. It's her body. And she ought to have the choice. And if you rise up against that, you're unloving. You don't care about that woman. Now, I do believe that we ought to do more with regard to coming alongside unwed mothers, taking care of them. If if we're going to say, you need to keep that baby, then we better be willing to pay that price. But don't let our culture convince you that you're unloving if you don't leave it up to the woman to decide what to do with her body and with that baby. And it is a baby. It's because we love them that we can't rejoice in unrighteousness. It's because we love them that we must rejoice in the truth which is this, it is God who creates man 
It's God who brings about that conception. And it is a human life in the image of God. And it is wrong to kill that baby. We live in a culture that says you need to be tolerant and you are unloving if you don't recognize every sort of marriages that now the Supreme Court has dictated is a marriage. And if you don't delight in those who get married in a perversity from what the Scripture says, then you're unloving. And the truth of the matter is, we do love you. And therefore, we want you to know the truth. And the truth is that God says, a man shall take a woman and those two shall become one flesh. And there's no deviation from that. That is God's Word. That is His standard. We are told that you're intolerant and unloving if you don't recognize all the different categories of sexual identity, which last I heard was over 60. And if you don't recognize that, you're unloving. You don't care. And the truth of the matter is we do love you. And the truth of the matter is God says He created male and female. That's what the Word of God said. That's His truth. And so we'll be accused of being unloving. But really, we love as we ought to love. And we, and, and we want them to know the truth. And we want them to embrace the truth and we pray for them. And, 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 and we're not out to destroy them. I'm not out to wipe them out. I want them to know the truth. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Boy, have we gotten there. And so we pray that in our society and in our culture, we will be salt and we will be light. Why? Because we love them. We truly love them. And we take no pleasure in their evil. The long that they walk in the truth. The second place, or the third place, if you count the first one being personal, but it's in our homes. It's in our homes. Such love should be recognized in our homes. We, we, we ought to promote the truth in our homes. 
We live in a time in which parents are told, don't you dare impose on your children your morals or your discipline. That's unloving. That's contrary to the Word of God. We need to teach our children. This is what's right, and this is what's good, and this is what's evil. And we want you to walk in the truth, not in the way of evil. And so, when mom or dad say, this is how we live in this house, this is how you behave in this house, and you say, but I don't want to, I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry you don't like that. But that's the way we're living here. And when... when I don't know how little they are, but once they get teenagers and even to young adults, they may look at you and say, can't you just be happy that I'm happy? Can't you just rejoice that I found someone to live with who who I love? And, And though we're not married, we're just happy? And the answer to that? No. Now, there's a real tension there. Because we we need to love our children. But they need to know we take no pleasure in their wickedness. Not because we hate them or want them miserable. I know some young adults who say, "I, I think my parents just want me unhappy. No, they want you happy. But your happiness is only temporary. And then finally, one other place that ought to be seen in the church. Ought to be seen in the church. Don't you? I I love it when someone comes up to me and says, "You know, at our church." Nobody ever preaches on sin. As though that's a good thing. I mean, my first reply is, get out of that church. It's because if you have a a pastor, if you have elders who love you, They want you to walk as you ought to walk. So they must proclaim the truth. Go out and tell somebody that you attend a church that believes in church discipline. You do, you do what? Man, you, you ought to find a church that loves you. Why, why do we discipline someone? We do it because we love them. A- and we want to see them repent. And so we're reminded here 
that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but, but it rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the righteous behavior of others without taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow. How do we love like this? Well, it won't come naturally. I've said this before. It doesn't come naturally. But by God's grace, we can love like this. And the Word of God says, By this shall all men know you are My disciples. How's that? That you have love one for another. And we, we've read that and said that many times and we think, what does that mean? That means we see each other on Sunday and we say, how are you? Fine, good. How are you? Fine, good. No, this is love. And you'll never love like this apart from a relationship to Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, wow, this, this love, I mean, how does that, how can that happen? And my answer is, my friend, you need to flee to Christ today and embrace Him in faith. And He stands ready to forgive you of your sins and bring you into His kingdom. May God help us to rejoice, to rejoice in the righteous behavior of others without taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and the directions that we receive from that Word. And we would pray that as a church and as a community of believers, we would ever be growing in our love. We would confess that we do not love as we ought. But Father, we want to. And we pray by the work of the Spirit, we will ever be growing in our love for You, and in our love for one another. And Father, how we would pray that some who sat here this morning may be envious to the end that they long for that type of love, to know that type of love. And Father, we pray that their eyes would be open to the only way in which that's possible. And that's through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And even today, they would have dealings with You and You would have dealings with them. And so, Father, take Your Word and help, it, help us to be obedient. Help us to walk in that truth so that in all things You receive the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.